you don't use your mic and hide behind it like Wilson from uh, I do when I'm home improvement doing lectures. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I do that a lot on, on Zoom calls. I just hide behind there. It's like, hey, neighbor. Uh, and you know what happened was that I recorded my PowerPoint in PowerPoint. And yeah. then I played it back when I was done an hour later. I couldn't hear anything. And I freaked oh, out. Because no. it was playing through your mic. it was playing through my mic. <laughs> <clears throat> yes anyway would you like to clap or should we just start <laughs> three two one Ninety percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today that's a lot of information but don't panic it's not an exact science hey shannon how are you just working on my zoom backgrounds i don't know about you <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I prefer the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. (laughs) I actually haven't done it. I just like to look at other people's. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I was on a call, and this is to all the undergrads or anyone out there that has imposter syndrome. I was on a call with a whole bunch of field camp directors, and there's this guy who's this really famous, like, paleomagnetist, so it's, you know, one of my idols. I'm like, oh, my gosh, and he's sitting there. (laughs) watching the zoom call with the toilet paper background (laughs) now for those that haven't seen the toilet paper background yet or are listening to this in five years when it makes no sense (laughs) can you elaborate oh man um yeah so you know obviously we're in this toilet paper shortage and so i guess one of the zoom backgrounds that someone has made that everyone's using is just like an up close wall of scott toilet tissue (laughs) It's awesome. It's super awesome. And I thought, yeah, this is why I'm a paleomagnetist. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of paleomagnetism, too. um, (laughs) So my son's at home, fifth grade. He's finishing out fifth grade here, which he thinks is just, you know, five months of summer. But he got his packet of schoolwork to do today. (laughs) And so we open it up and we're doing these worksheets which I'm firmly against, but I will couch my anger right now. And he pulls out this reading worksheet. And he's supposed to read this paragraph and then write about it. It is a paragraph about paleomagnetism. Really? (laughs) There's a diagram and it said like iron in rocks was like the title. Um, And it was a thing about how rocks are magnetic and but it wasn't just that there was a diagram and it was the grains getting reset and aligned with earth's magnetic field wow i know i got so excited i was jumping around i'm like this is what i do dude this thing's about paleomagnetism he was like mom you need to chill it out (laughs) i would say was he like i just need to answer this one question so i can go outside now that is exactly what happened I was like, you can write a little bit more. You know more about this. And he was like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go play basketball. (laughs) It's not being graded anyway right now. Exactly. Oh, man. I was so excited, though. I'll tell his teacher that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You Um, should say, actually, I expanded on what he wrote some and (laughs) hand them a copy of your dissertation. (laughs) I don't think think she'd be surprised by that. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm guessing you haven't been doing fifth grade math worksheets. What have you been up to? <laughs> no, I mean, some fifth grade math. Um, I've been doing lots of CNC programming. Okay. So it's all simple math, but it's hard. Oh. <laughs> uh, you, you, you try not to crash the machine and into itself or cut things that shouldn't be cut. Uh, it moves so fast, too. It's so scary. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, on my mill, I, I use some more... It's a more modern machine, so I use modern software that lets me simulate, and I feel pretty good with it. Uh, but the, my, the lathe that I've got, uh, it boots off floppies into MS-DOS. <laughs> so I have a USB floppy drive that I use to write programs to it. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Yep. So, you know, that eh, 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 sound of the oh, floppy writing. So lovely. I get get to live it every day. I use the lathe. Man, that's so exciting. I haven't heard that sound in so long. It's got the one color monochrome yellow screen. Yes. Yep. Uh, I am just absolutely petrified that one day it's not going to boot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should be. Because I don't know where I'm going to... They still make it, but surely they've updated pieces of it? Oh, man. This is why uh, we had a geochemist that had, no kidding, 10 Apple IIEs just stacked up in a room because that's what he ran his equipment off of. Yeah. So every time he found one, he'd just buy it. And I will say, I mean, especially for the price that I paid for this lathe, like... It, it's very accurate. It's very fast. Uh, to replace it, I would probably be writing a check for eighty dollars to $120,000. Oh, see? So you're good. So right now, it just it just goes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and that's all you need to worry about. <laughs> but yeah, and then I've actually been working on a piece of equipment, uh, a even rarer than paleomagnetic equipment. Oh, my gosh. I don't think that exists, but okay. As far as I know, this is the only instrument of its kind in the world. <gasps> okay, is it a um, is it a beer can hat for a hamster? <laughs> no, it's a uh, it, it it measures crystallographic axes and thin sections. Ooh, automated! So it's an undergrad. You have an undergrad, <laughs> uh, but it does it in three D. Oh, so it rotates polarizers, rotates the sample, and then angles the slide and does it all again oh that's fancy and it's designed to work at cryogenic temperatures <gasps> oh well look at that so wow. it's pretty cool uh do you the have computer... this in your possession oh. yes it's it's uh it's at my business now oh how are you not there right now playing with it i don't understand uh, <laughs> so no you know it came on a on a big semi and we had to forklift uh, forklift it off and it came here for a spa day. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it uh, uses really old controllers for all the positioning of everything. They mm -hmm. don't make them anymore. Yeah. They plug into a computer motherboard. Their ISA connectors are like the really old. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So the motherboard and this thing has failed. Oh. But to keep it going, because they still need to collect data and... You know, finding a motherboard that would have enough ISA slots was like impossible <laughs> with a modern computer. Uh -huh. uh, they unsoldered and resoldered capacitors onto the cards and onto the motherboard as they were failing. Oh my gosh. 
That's uh, amazing. <laughs> it really got limped along until they collected this last batch of data they needed. And they're like, we really have to have this revitalized. Oh, wow. I guess now's the time. Now's the time. So we, uh, today I machined a bunch of new motor adapters to put brand new snazzy stepper motors on it. And, uh, I got, I got some of those. (laughs) Yep. You got some. And, uh, my, my technical project lead, he was working on the, the wiring cabinet for it and got the, the cabinet all wired up. So really, as soon as I write a test program, we're ready to start spinning polarizers with new drivers that are all, you know, it's just a USB plug to any computer. Man, that's so exciting. But then I get to rewrite 20-year-old software. Uh, Yeah, are you going to have to uh, whip out your uh, Dear Howie and Zeusman? Well, I'm going to be doing it in LabVIEW, so. Well, no, I mean, when you're testing it, you got to know all these, you know, axes and all that jazz. Oh, no, no. Um, your, your Dear Howie and Zeusman Mineralogy Manual. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot that one. Uh-huh. No. So there's a bunch of calibration steps that have to occur and all that, but pretty much everything I'm doing is uh, straightforward. And then we have a calibration plate that's got aligned quartz and not aligned quartz. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I know if we're in the ballpark. Okay. Man, that's super awesome. Like how, okay, so you had to unload it, but how big is it? Um, three by four feet. Oh, okay. It's heavy. It's a, it's on an optical breadboard. Oh, okay. So, you know, half inch thick aluminum plate mm-hmm. with tapped holes every inch. Uh, so it's, it's heavy and the polarizers and the motors and all that are heavy. Um, there's been some interesting stuff we found going through it, like just while it's here and it's on its spa vacation, mm-hmm. you know, take all the gearboxes apart, clean out the old nasty grease, mm-hmm. re-lube them, align anything that's out of alignment. Like it's, it's been getting a pretty good going through this week, uh, but it's, it's been an exciting little project. And it's one that it's really satisfying because the goals are very well-defined uh, yeah, you know, it, it needs to do exactly what it did before, but with new hardware and software that you don't need a fifty-page how-to to use. Um, That's all we asked you to do. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the control of it's pretty simple since we're getting to re-replace re- all of the control hardware. I don't have to worry about interfacing with something else. So, uh, it's, so you literally you're just gonna? Does it have like a screen attached to it, or do you just plug a computer into it? You just plug a computer into it now. Oh, okay, that's wonderful. It is, there's a box that's mounted on the table leg, and there's a USB port on it. Oh, oh, high tech. <laughs> yeah, though it is weird. The For some reason, and if anybody listening is in this industry, so connectors are a racket. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the thing that frustrates me the most is you cannot buy USB feed-throughs for boxes that are normal, everyday plugs Okay. that are round. Really? Everybody makes them square, so you have to drill around hole and file the corners out Oh. to be square. Oh, my gosh. Which <laughs> is miserable. Wow. Uh, or use a milling machine or something. Yeah, but still. 
So uh, for if I'm using something that has a USB port that I'm going to feed out the side of the box, I actually designed a little adapter and we 3D <laughs> print them now. Uh, but this thing, we needed a cable and some other stuff. So I ended up buying the only thing I could buy that was round, designed to fit in a standard electrical knockout. Mm-hmm. And it is USB-A female on both sides. Okay. So that's the plug that's on the back of your computer. Mm-hmm. So that means that you plug this machine in with a USB double A male yeah. on both ends. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> that's terrible. a very odd cable. Yeah, that's terrible. When you pull it out of the box, like when I pull it out of the box, this just looks <laughs> no. <laughs> like a two headed chicken or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Hmm. That's weird. Really weird. Um, but, you know, so one thing that I'm going to have to do with a lot of this work that I'm doing, uh, I mean, I'm obviously not meeting people in person. I'm not teaching any Python classes in person, though we're exploring some with virtual. Mm-hmm. And we're exploring a virtual Arduino class, too. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, but is we're having to deal with how do we do what we normally do over the internet. Mm-hmm. And not like what we normally do on the internet. Like, you know, look at Pinterest or I can has cheeseburger. <laughs> right. But how do we actually do work? It's real hard. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. And so we thought that would be something that's interesting to talk about this week, which is how higher education is coping with going virtual and being drug kicking and screaming. Uh, into the 21st century and by higher education we're just talking about me i want to make this clear (laughs) (laughs) lots of uh lots of people are already in this realm and are very comfortable in it um and so (laughs) i'd love to hear from listeners a lot more than we normally do about their experiences with this right now um because clearly i hate chemistry and technology and (laughs) and here i am um, being forced into this. <laughs> and here you are teaching an online geochemistry course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully not. Um, but I am teaching an online field geology course. <laughs> so That seems difficult. Uh, it's super difficult. <laughs> um, so as you know, we have field camp, but we also, OU offers, which not some universities offer this, not very many, also offers a field geophysics course as well um, in the summertime. So it's just three three weeks, three-hour course. But that's a big deal because not a lot of people do that, and lots of people want that. Okay, so that got canceled along with field camp. Um, it's just easier to be like, oh, well, we'll just do something else for your geophysics capstone <laughs> as opposed to field geology. <laughs> So I find myself stuck here trying to come up with a six-hour field geology course. But luckily, I'm not the only one, and I was on this Zoom call. It was a maxed-out Zoom call, so I went from having used Zoom one time to a call with 300 people. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so they were all field educators and and field camp directors and it's trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do? Um, 
And it turns out there's actually a lot of resources already in existence. And I was overwhelmed and very heartened by it after the end of that Zoom call, though. Okay, so I would imagine there are like some virtual outcrops and that sort of thing, but I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know about. So what what are some of the things that you found exciting that you want to use in your online field course? Yeah, so I mean, there's sort of two different things. All of this is being put on. If anyone is looking for these kind of resources, I suggest you go to um, the National Association of Geoscience Teachers. That's who is spearheading a lot of um, this especially this, like, <laughs> I went to one online meeting that was suddenly teaching geosciences online. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought that was really, really funny. Um, but also a place called CERC, Science Education Resource Center, and this is through Carleton College. So NAGT and CERC work together. And this is where most of this stuff is, um, it, where it lives on the internet. And it's not just for higher ed. There's also a lot of K through 12 stuff. Um, but one of the guys that did this, one of these courses that I've been seemingly constantly on, he has been teaching online classes. He said that he did his first fully online class in 1998. Best viewed on Netscape Navigator 2.0. Exactly. I didn't even have a desktop in 1998 i just used the computer lab i had to secure shell into my email (laughs) yeah that's really really early for a fully online course that's very impressive yeah i thought so too he said he had been doing hybrid ones um since 1996 i was like my lord so that was really cool um but he was one of the people that helped because it's like there's two problems here (laughs) One is, how do you teach geology online? And the other problem is just, how do you teach online in general? Did you ever take any online classes? Like, fully online classes? I did. You did? I took several. Really? Uh, so, as I was a double major as you were, mm-hmm. I was pretty crammed. Mm-hmm. So, I took Chemistry 2 fully online while I was working at Oak Ridge one summer. And luckily, since I lived... Uh, with somebody who was a professor out there, <laughs> I was able to have my tests proctored in uh, you know the comfort of where I was staying. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so you know that worked as you took the the class online. There was a online lab which was kind of goofy. Yeah. Um, like you were doing a titration and you, you click the little thing and it puts a drop in, you click it and it puts a drop in, you click it, it puts a drop in and that changes color. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> so, and none of that terribly frustrating actual titrating. <laughs> well, I mean, it, all the frustration of a chemistry lab, but in the end you actually got numbers that made sense. Okay. 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 Great. So there was that, um, that wasn't a terrible experience. Uh, then let's see, I did during the school year, I did a completely online nuclear engineering class because OU didn't offer any. What did you take? That was this just your elective, you weirdo? (laughs) So I needed a physics credit. Oh, geophysics. Okay. And I didn't feel like quantum physics was necessarily the best use of my time. 
that is 100% still true today, and yet everyone still takes it. But yeah, go on. Uh, so instead of taking quantum physics, I decided to take principles of reactors. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I mean, this had to do with your work at Oak Ridge, so it wasn't, you know, out of yeah, your I mean, realm. I, I was already doing some things. Like, like you said, I was working uh, at a reactor there doing some things so it was a fun course uh but i took it from uh, kansas state fully online so there were online lectures that were recorded you watched them uh you could watch them anytime you wanted but there were fixed homework due dates so you needed to get through the lectures and through the homework by a certain date Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there were tests that had to be proctored right and that was it wow okay though i will say i actually I am the weird person that sometimes still corresponds with professors. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe a year ago or so, I saw an article that was related to something that we had like tangentially talked about in the class. And I remember him saying like, oh yeah, and this is a really cool thing, but we don't know much about it yet. And there's an article about this. And I sent it to him and I was like, this is so cool. I remember you talking. He's like, who are you? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he was like, oh, that class I phoned in. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so even though we're fairly close in age, I started college in 1998 and, um, we didn't have online classes uh, and we did have a professor who we both shared, who is now the science advisor for the president, um, <laughs> video lectures. <laughs> so did he still bring in the VCR or VHS tapes? Yes. You bet. <laughs> so that's as digital as we got was, uh, Dr. Kelvin Drogemeyer's videotaped lectures where they rolled in the vcr cart like in elementary school (laughs) except it was dynamic so it wasn't nearly as fun as reading rainbow or whatever it was was mesoscale for us oh oh wow Hmm. interesting Uh, i'd kelvin for mesoscale it was an amazing experience oh okay (laughs) we'll leave that there yep we will leave it there So that's hilarious. Uh, Yeah, so there's a lot of people that are just like, I don't even know what to do online. Luckily, when we went to Canvas, our new LMS, our learning management system, um, I went to a bunch of Canvas classes because I was determined to not be a ridiculous Luddite and have you make fun of me. And uh, (laughs) it was, I'm glad I went. (laughs) And Canvas is really set up to do this kind of thing. It's, It's pretty impressive. So I've even gotten to where so I can record my lectures. And then you run them through this, you know, my media OU website. So it hosts it like YouTube. So then students can watch it in Canvas without having to download it. And so that alleviates a lot of the access issues, which is what I think is terrible about all this is people who don't have, you know, good access to the internet. But that definitely helps a lot and it makes it pretty easy. Um, One of the big things they talked a lot about was asynchronous versus synchronous learning. So do you have lectures that are held at our normal lecture times, or do you just record this stuff for students to do on their own? And that's totally the way that I went. Um, I'm actually only holding one class, and that's tomorrow, during, you know, our prescribed meeting time. So So that's an interesting – here's how I think I would have approached it. Okay. I I think I would have said – if this is a course that started as an in-person course and we had a scheduled lecture time, we will maintain that regular scheduled lecture time. Mm-hmm. If this is a course that has started as a remote learning course, you know, maybe then asynchronously. So. Um, but they, I'm, I'm curious why why you chose to why forego that? the scheduled times. Um, 
because they asked us, and I think this is right, um, to be, this is so unusual, and a lot of people are dealing with it in not the greatest ways. And so they asked us to be as flexible as possible. Okay. So that's really why. We're going to have exams on Canvas during class time. Um, I'm, I'm doing one right now that will be just on their honor sort of thing. Um, and then I'll do one that will also be scheduled during the time it was supposed to happen. That'll be open book. But uh, that's besides tomorrow's meeting, we're meeting to go over. They have a big project due. And actually, that's been interesting because this project is a significant portion of their grade in my class. It's like 30%, I think. Um, yeah, 30%. They still have finals and tests and everything, but it's a big project. And what I do is I would take like quadrangle maps and I would mark interesting cross-section lines, <laughs> uh, which were obviously usually pretty, pretty rank. <laughs> like evil. Or, yeah. <laughs> As I giggle. Um, and so I thought, well, what am I going to do? 35% of the grade. They can't do that now. I can't leave anything for them to go pick up. You can't do anything like that. Half of them are not even in the state anymore. Um, so what do you do? And this is where some of this online tech cam- comes in. And my TAs found from your esteemed graduate degree university. Um, so Penn State had a bunch of scanned, like high-res scanned geology quads and actually those are a bunch that i used anyway for this project because you know the valley and ridge province is beautiful to do cross sections in and so we could we just pdf'd those annotated the cross section lines and said here's your cross section line here's the url to this high res image do it digitally if you want do it manually if you want but make this cross section I think this is more representative of actual workplace interactions as well, though. I think so, too. Like, Uh, we don't care how you do this. You just need to get it done. That is correct. Because my TAs and I went back and forth, you know, and this is kudos to them for finding these resources and annotating the maps. Um, But that's exactly, they were like, what do you want them to do? What do you want us to write? Do you want us to do it digitally or or manually. And it was a student that I had last year that always asked to do stuff digitally. He carried around a Surface Pro and he was on it constantly. Like that's how he did everything. And so even the manual one that we did, he said, can we do this digitally? And I was like, yeah. I was like, it better not be, you know, blocky and terrible. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, it won't be. And it's like, he made, this is where I was super impressed. You know, he had taken and he essentially digitized the Topo profile just kind of using excel right it's all it is it's easy to keep it one-to-one and then you can just make your excel digital topo profile and go from there it was pretty good so digital has its benefits and that's totally what i would have done i i that's it so my tas they're like well how would you you know because we were talking about how to go about it and taking the grids and you know rotating them and i was like I just do an Excel sheet. It's easy to keep it one-to-one. You just don't plot your data points. Then you've got a smooth curve that represents your topo profile. So 
we wrote that up and uh yeah it'll be interesting and that is right um <laughs> one of my one of my old TAs for this class I ran across a PowerPoint and it was when he was I kind of let the TAs take over explaining this project it's kind of helping them learn how to be teachers especially the ones that are getting their PhDs so both of my TAs now are getting their PhDs and <laughs> this PowerPoint says Here's an example of the, because that's what we said, just do it, do it your way. We're not going to give you instructions. Here's an example of the rubric that your boss is going to give you. And then the next slide is just totally blank. (laughs) Yeah, I need this by Wednesday. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So that's a, that's a point that we try to make is that, yeah, like we're not helping you a ton. We're here for questions, but it's like, here's the task. Figure it out. So, yeah. I think that's great. Um, I was really happy with it because it's like these students aren't going to be the majority of them, if any of them, aren't going to be field geologists. And so that's not the point of the class. Like, yes, it's a field methods class. And, yes, you learn how to make geologic maps, but more because you need to know how they're made. And so. No, that's. Yeah. uh, Yeah, totally. That's what I say to anybody that goes to field camp it's like enjoy it because it's the only time you'll ever do field mapping in your life yeah basically yes i mean there are very few jobs there are few but very few jobs where that's what you get to do even the field mappers i know are in the field like less than a month a year so you know um and so this is i think it's a really good good way to do that you're exactly right so that was one way um but I've digressed onto my online. (laughs) So (laughs) that's why I'm handling my class. And it seems like it's working really well. But it's also working well because we actually got all of our field trips out of the way before spring break. (laughs) All right. Yeah. And I had just planned it that way because I like to leave a lot of time, like a whole month, essentially, for this project. And then one weekend was my 40th birthday and I wasn't going to spend it with those kids. So... (laughs) (laughs) So I had fortuitously crammed everything in before spring break. So we'd already gotten all of our field work out of the way. But for those that haven't, and then for those that are going to field camp, some of these field camps actually start in the 1st of May, um, which is scary. So these like working groups that I'm involved in are really trying to hit the ground running. But it's like there is a lot of super cool stuff. And a lot of it has to do with things we've covered on the show that you've wanted to talk about because it's technology. So there's a lot of awesome gigapan stuff out there. Um, that's a huge deal for actually doing meaningful geology in the field, I think. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like that and then giga macro too, because viewing stuff through giga macro, you can actually start to make, um, like, measurements on there draw polygons all this other stuff so some of those things i put a link in the show notes to this open textbook um callan bentley who's a pretty famous geo tweeter (laughs) uh is part of this um i think geo tweep is the term is it tweep okay i almost said Uh, it i think it's geo tweep i think so too and i stopped myself because it sounded weird um because it's a yeah, technology thing, and I don't say I'm a lot. Uh, <laughs> but in here, there are some super cool virtual field experiences. He has a fossil lab, uh, which is all done with GigaPan. But then he has this uh, glaciers and glaciated landscapes. And part of that, it's just 
an integration. They're like living figures in a textbook is essentially what it is. And some of them are just little videos, but then some of them are these gigapan images where you can go through and see, you know, the different parts of the glacier at large scale and small scale, just like being there. Yes. So, I mean, gigapan, if you're not familiar, is you take a bunch of high resolution photographs, pretty zoomed in, uh, like a bunch and stitch them together. So you have an image that covers a large area but can be zoomed in to see teeny tiny detail. So imagine if it's a picture of a field, but you could zoom in and count the number of veins on a leaf. Yes, right. And so all these, like, just, there are, it turns out, vast volumes of gigapan images. I mean, RSEM does this as well. So it's not a gigapan, but it's, um, you can have, it can scan a section of the slide, and it does that same thing. So you can look at sort of the whole slide, but then you can zoom in down to the micron level on it, which is super cool. Um, so you're like, how do I do a geology lab? You know, we're struggling with this because this semester we have IGMET and SEDPET, so igneous and metamorphic uh, petrology and sedimentary petrology. But it's like, it's almost easier to do it online. <laughs> yeah, and you don't have to have working microscopes. Exactly. You can have just pictures, which honestly, if you're doing anything like this in the real world anyway, you're going to have pictures of the slides, not a microscope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's that whole field methods thing. Like, do I need to spend a lot of time telling them what an Ad- Adelaide, Alidade, there we go, <laughs> was and how it works? Like, how do you render a topo map? Probably not. But I'm going to show you how to use a topo map. So it's the same thing. Like, instead of messing around with all the intricacies of a almost not functioning microscope. <laughs> Just look at these two slides. This one's in cross polar. This one's in plain light. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So there's a lot of that out there. A lot more, I think, than we all realized. Um, so that was one of my links on there. Uh, another one was this cool, and this is through Cirque. It's this thing called Teach the Earth. And this is super impressive and it's this crowdsourced essentially uh website that has so many labs and field trip virtual field trip experiences but not only that but exercises in meaningful ways to interact with these it's not like watch this youtube video where this guy goes to a volcano you know they're Super interactive. They've got a bunch on planetary science. And so this is where we're going to host uh, eventually all of our field camp stuff. But it's for K through 12. It's for two-year colleges. It's for uh, traditional colleges. And it's really impressive. That's that's really cool. I, yeah. I think this is the best of open source Man, coming it, together. It really is. And it's like, I feel like this is... This is these people's like time to shine, right? Because they've been doing this work behind the scenes forever. Lots of us have always, you know, used stuff. I almost said ripped off stuff, but it's not. This is out there for everybody to use. You know, this is what I've used. If people miss labs or whatever, I have them redo this instead of redoing a lab I've already graded and passed back. Um, and so that's that's funny to me. And it's like these people are like, yes, we're ready for this. Look at all this stuff we have to offer you already. It's uh, very much reminiscent of what Dr. Sean Arms says 
about free meteorological data that he works to curate and distribute as, as part of his job description, which is the first hits on us and the rest is free. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly what this website is. Have you ever messed around with this or looked at this website at all? I have just very casually browsed through it and gone, this is really cool. At the same time right now, that's not a resource I need. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it's outrageously impressive. And so you can um, contribute stuff to this website and then you can get it. I guess I didn't know this existed because I'm not in the online community for this stuff. But I guess there's a like a checklist. It's like being organic certified. It's like somebody goes through and it's like, yes, this this exercise is correct. It ticks these boxes, you know, in terms of what it's, it's learning objectives and it's got this seal of approval. So they do that too on here. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of organizations that are starting to do that now, sort of vet these open source contributions, which I think is really valuable. Oh, yes. Yes, exactly. Especially for this stuff. Cause it's like, you don't want to get stuck and need something at the last minute and then your student gets halfway through the lab you barely read and was like this doesn't make sense you're like oh it doesn't make sense <laughs> right uh yeah so that's uh that's terrible um but this is a uh, this is really cool and that was one of the things that we talked about um a lot too but then i was on and this is what precipitated this conversation really today was i was on a webinar where they did some amazing stuff. I literally typed into this 200-person thing. I wrote mind blown in the chat <laughs> and, <laughs> and was seconded a whole bunch. Um, and it was using a bunch of Rick Almendinger stuff. And he's pretty famous, especially in your world, I think. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, that, that, that last name comes up several places in my world. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what I thought. Um, so he's a structural geologist by trade, right? Um, but he's a very mathy and techy structural geologist and very computery and has been for quite some time, way well, ahead of his time. Okay, can I bring an unpopular opinion? Oh, no. <laughs> a structural geologists are the nerd geologists. And that is not an unpopular opinion. That is fact, obviously. The structural geologists have been computer people for decades. Okay, yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Anyway. Sorry, I, I'll, I'll get off that soapbox now. But when people are like, look at this cool new structural geology thing. Yeah, that they I, also did in Fortran in 1992. Okay, I'm going beyond uh, I'm going beyond stereo nets here. But yes, you are 100% right. I remember being in structural geology and him handing, uh, we had to input our strike and dip measurements into a text file and hand him a, a floppy disk which was a you know three and a half inch floppy disk for him to run on his program <laughs> so yes <laughs> and guess who wrote the updated strike and dip parser for those yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> you could do dip dip direction as god intended oh <sighs> or you could do strike and dip and it would process them all you don't have to suck up to zev anymore he's not listening <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what they did, God, this was unbelievable. So it was using SketchUp. Have you ever heard of this? Oh yeah. Google SketchUp. Not Google anymore, right? They sold it to Trimble. Really? Yes. Okay. I learned something new. There you go. I said some of it was new. Um, so 
Oh my gosh. So this is great. So this guy had a DEM of the Castle Reef quad, which is a super famous quad in the Fold and Thrust Belt in Montana. So those geologists that have worked there are like, oh yeah, I know that one. <laughs> and so it's this great 3D DEM with the, you know, just the geology draped on the surface, essentially the geologic map draped on the surface. But then you can cut away, which is what is published, cut away into this block in these, the exact locations and see the cross sections that are pasted on there, right? So you take a slice and then you also see the cross section. Okay, great. That, I don't think that's new. It's not new. <laughs> um, so it's like pseudo 3D. Yeah, yeah, pseudo 3D. Really neat. But you could feasibly, if you knew how to manipulate it all, do this with any quad that has published cross sections with it, which is almost every quad, right? right? And so you just tell it where those are, and so the students could like cut away at those specific spots and see how how that looks, which was really neat. Not super new, but really cool. Now, where Almendinger stuff comes in is he has this geologic map data extractor program. And so it extracts data from a raster image of a geologic map. So there's tons of those available, right? All these PDFs that are out there of these quadrangle maps. And then you can, like, do stuff with it. So the guy, (laughs) he said... My apologies, he was asked to do this little spiel like an hour before the webinar started. But he just took the DM of out his back door and the published quad from out at his back door and using Almendinger's program made this 3D geologic map that then you could put into 2D and have this fancy interactive geologic map GIS style. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. He could even make cross-sections with it. It was unbelievable. That was my mind-blown part. It was crazy. So it's like, this stuff already exists. You're right. If we only listen to structural geologists who have been like, I told you this was going to be a big deal. <laughs> Nerds save the day once again. Exactly. That's exactly what's happened. And I'm like, man, why am I a Luddite? Um, so that was the coolest <laughs> one. Yeah. That was the coolest one for sure. But I put a link in for that. So if you haven't used that, surely you've used Almendinger's StereoNet program because everyone's used that, right? Yeah. And I will say, you know, like if you appreciate the nerd saving you, send them a roll of toilet paper or something. <laughs> yeah. So he has that on his site. I thought this was really sweet. And he was just like, bugs. I want to hear about your bugs. And he's like, I don't want you to say this software borked my data or is crappy, you know? And he's like, be nice. And he's like, also, if you love this stuff, let me know. I'd love to hear that. So yeah, I'm sure he got 50 emails today and was like, wow, yes, you are a genius. Um, (laughs) So that's really neat. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to talk about, because I talked to a colleague uh, out of the country uh, and they're even more locked down than mm-hmm. either of us are right now. Okay. And they were talking about doing exams. Mm-hmm. And they have everything in their department from, you know, well, we should just honor system or open book it to you need to, like, show us around the room to be sure there's nobody there. Your camera has to be pointing towards the entry exit to the room. You have to leave your audio and camera on during the exam. Yeah. You know, like both extremes. 
And it reminded me of a conversation that we had uh, at Penn State about some new software that was coming available on the market that would monitor students' camera and audio, and it would flag, like, if there was significant sound, it would pop a flag up to the instructor and be like, you know, this person, there was a lot of sound during this time while they were taking the exam. Here's the video clip from that for you to review. Yeah. Um, I firmly stood on and still stand on that as an invasion of privacy. Yes, me too. But I don't know how we do online exams correctly, other than we throw the exam model out the window and say, it's not about what you can memorize, it's about how much you can think. That's exactly right. That's what you do. Um, we just got an email about this at 7.27 p.m. tonight. Um, and it said, while we do have access to this, Respondus lockdown and Respondus monitor is one of the things that you can do. Um, it's, <laughs> they really inhibit accessibility. And so this was my big problem with going online because a lot of people in college, professors especially, it seems like, come from a privileged background. And so it's like, I was super poor growing up. I didn't have money for this stuff. Um, and so I tend to be more sensitive to students that don't have access to these things. Like when you're like, hey, just buy this textbook or hey, just get this piece of equipment. It's fine. It's only 50 bucks. I sold plasma to eat. So, you know, <laughs> like... Right. Um, these respondus things... Well, some of these things can cost money. I don't know if that one does. Um, but if you don't have a Windows or a Mac, you can't use it. So it doesn't work on your phone. It doesn't work on Google Chromebooks at all. And so that's like a super cheap laptop that a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, and then for people who have um, needs like visual impairment or screen readers, it doesn't work with those at all. So <laughs> that's assuming you've got this traditional student that has a good internet connection that can handle being videotaped, right, during that time. And that assuming they're running a Windows or a Mac, which isn't always true. And, and that's not even an accessibility thing, you know? Maybe people want to run Linux. They don't want a Windows or a Mac. They don't need it. Um, right. So there's that, you know? You have to have a webcam for it. So there's a limiting factor. You have to have a working microphone for it. That's a limiting factor. Um, yeah. And we're not allowed to make those requirements, you know, after class has started. Um, so besides the privacy thing, I think it really wrecks accessibility. And I think that's exactly right, is that this is what I was hoping for my son's class is that hey look we're canceling state tests guess what <laughs> that's fine <laughs> in fact it's great state testing you actually is... get to learn things exactly state testing is stupid you guys are giving them these cool enrichment activities which is how they're going to learn so you're not focused on teaching to this stupid test and this is it college shouldn't it does teach you things especially in the sciences there are fundamentals you need to learn but it teaches you how to think and so let's make exams that you know reflect that you can always look up a constant yeah. 
guess what? I'm really good at memorizing. I probably would have been a great doctor just because I could memorize stuff all day long. But that's not what employers want. They want critical thinkers, you know? You have your job because that's what you can do. And no one else can, not many people can do that. So why don't we teach them to think like that? I completely agree. And as somebody who is a terrible memorizer, I mean, this is why I did very poorly. I mean, very poorly, as in scraped by passing physics too. Oh, mm, yeah. Uh, I know electromagnetics very well. Yeah. I don't know the formulas <laughs> off the top of my head. I do it as a uh, job now, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but exactly. I I look up the formulas, but we had uh, you know testing in there that was, you have to have all these things and formulas and constants memorized. And mm-hmm. I, I just didn't. <laughs> and see, this is why I didn't get it until much later. I'm like, oh, this is why they'd let us have an index card or a sheet of paper where you can write all that stuff down because that's really not the point. Exactly. It's just not the point, you know? It's not a cheat sheet. It is a, this is the givens sheet. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Nowhere in a job are you going to have to take an exam like this, like maybe for accreditations, but like your everyday job isn't doing that. Right. So, yeah, I'm, and, and this is, I'm an excellent memorizer. So that's why this is painful for me to say, because that's why I do well on tests. <laughs> anyway, when's the last time an AMS board certified meteorologist needed to whip out Beer's Law from memory? Correct. Exactly. So, yes. <laughs> um, I wish that we could use this. And maybe we can talk to somebody about this that knows more than you or I do. Um I wish we could use this as a teaching revolution. Like I brought this up to my son's teacher who had to, you know, call and make contact with all of us. I was like, I wish that we could bring this up. And she was like, state testing is tied to state funding. And she said, so I don't think it'll ever change. And it's like, why can't we use this as an impetus to make it change? You know, it's true. And I mean, I do think this whole thing is going to revolutionize how actual day to day work happens and where it happens. I think so, too. I think that's great. Um, We were talking earlier, you know, no names or whatever, but just sort of a how stuff is moving along faster in some aspects of our life. And I think that proves how much time gets wasted in an office setting a lot. Yeah, or just how much the fact that now you are more accountable because you're not at the office. And if you're at the office, you know, people assume you're doing things. Uh, but now people are actually relying on metrics of, okay, how many widgets did, did get cranked today? Mm-hmm. Cause that's the only way they have to check on employees. And I'm not using this as a, I know there's been a bunch of productivity articles out there. Agree or disagree with them yeah. is a separate topic about, you know, you should be more productive or less productive or whatever. Correct. Um, but now people are actually looking at productivity. Mm-hmm. And that's causing some interesting and sometimes uncomfortable realizations. Yes. Like, I just assumed it was everyone else's fault that I didn't get work done. Turns out it was my fault. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that was really, like, I'm clearly a huge extrovert. And so this has actually been mentally pretty hard on me. But I didn't realize how much time I wasted, like, needing to have interactions with people. You know, and it's like now that I have three full time jobs, teaching my son 
you know, taking care of everything at home and my own full-time job <laughs> um, and, you know, watching my two-year-old, it's like, oh, well, this has forced me to reevaluate my productivity and, you know, figure out ways that once I go back to work, how it will be better. Absolutely. And it is interesting how different people are reacting to this. You know, the extroverts are saying, oh, this is miserable. I know. <laughs> uh, the people like me are going, my lifestyle is now socially acceptable. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and it's so funny because I, I made the comment to somebody. I was like, every one of my friends is so excited about this. I was like, how are my friends? Like, my husband is an extreme introvert as well. And I was like, how, how are my friends with so many introverts? And they were like, it's because you talk all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Some painful personal realizations are happening, John. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and... I mean, it's, it is going to be interesting how this changes things. I know right now it's changing some things for us because we're not, uh, we're not going to the store nearly as much like, okay, we need a bolt. Right. We're not going to go to the bolt store today. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to do a bulk order and we're going to get delivered if we can. Mm -hmm. And so it has caused, I don't know how to say this where it's not a, I don't want to cast the past in a negative light or this in a more positive light, but it's changed our mode of operation from, okay, we need this, go order it, go get it. Yeah. Okay, we need this, go order it, go get it, to we're going to sit down and plan every aspect of this project and mm -hmm. make a gigantic order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when it comes, we're going to celebrate and work for the next three days straight and not ever have to go get another nut or bolt. That's very interesting. Or even doing stuff like making do with what you have, even if it's not what you wanted to do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I've seen food in the back of my pantry that I haven't seen in a decade. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, it definitely causes that to be a little more uh, resourceful as well. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely um, put me in a more esoteric state of mind, as uh, as you can tell by um, by the fun paper I picked up. <laughs> yeah. Though, so the last comment is I did have to go out. Uh, last weekend to stock up on some food and get some supplies for our shop. Uh, ironically, we were on our last roll of toilet paper. Oh. <laughs> uh, and we have Kanban cards, which is a whole nother show I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, we hit our, our minimum for toilet paper and our minimum for a few other supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to go out, and it, it was just very surreal going out with so few people and everybody in masks. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. My kids haven't been in the store since, you know, before spring break, and it's, yeah, it's real weird. Really yeah. weird. Mm -hmm. Like I said, so you're socially acceptable, but us extroverts are truly suffering. <laughs> it's true. But, you know, I think you found a really good activity for everybody to do. <laughs> And it's this week's edition of Fun Paper Friday. Yay. Um, I mean, I'm not going to talk a lot about this paper because it's a lot of math. <laughs> but you got to be proud of me that I picked a math paper. I did. The structural geologists perked their ears up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, 
I found this just obviously when looking for stuff, but this is super cool, and I definitely wanted to read a paper that's from the journal journal Research and Number Theory. <laughs> so, cracking the problem with thirty three by Andrew Booker. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you watch the YouTube video that's in the abstract? I certainly did. Yeah, of course you did. Um, who wouldn't watch a YouTube video that's in an abstract? <laughs> And it is from Numberphile, which is a channel that I regularly watch anyway. Oh, man, of course. <laughs> Along with Computerphile. Oh, but. pushes glasses up nose. Um, <laughs> so you're not laughing at that. <laughs> no. Um, I just did push my glasses up with mine. Uh, it's about Diophantine equations. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and this first equation is super easy. I get that. Well, it looks easy. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's portrayed easy. <laughs> so x squared plus, or sorry, x cubed plus y cubed plus z cubed equals some number k. Mm-hmm. Where x, y, or z can equal each other too, which was a tricky trick. But And our integers. Correct. So, or sorry. Yes, k is an integer and x, y, and z are an integer. So let me give you a number, say 1 or Mm -hmm. 2, and you need to find an x, y, and z such that when you cube them and add them together, they equal that number. It sounds relatively easy, and to me it sounds like one of those things, well, there are a lot of numbers, so you can probably find it for any number. Right, yes, but you can't. But you can't. So there are a series of numbers that we can unequivocally prove. No. Mm-hmm. And it's something like nine times m plus four, nine times m plus five. Yes. So it's. Where, or, or yeah. So if you want to do modulo math, you can get fancy. But yes. <laughs> is that where is that where you're going I with was, that? Yep. I'm stopping. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Oh no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I don't want to do modular math. Uh, so there's some numbers where we can prove that you cannot satisfy that equation it has no solutions Uh, for the rest of the numbers there are solutions there might be one there might be infinity they might be random they might be a pattern we don't know Mm um i love that this i mean this was a like a research problem in 300 a.d right this is the Diophantine part of it, right? Because this was a Greek who was like, look, you can do this. Um, and so some of these have had to wait until supercomputers came around, right? And I guess a bunch of them were solved. So if you're trying to do this for um, all values of K, like to one through a hundred at first, but now it's just keeping going. So in 1955, a whole bunch of these got solved. So I think the history of this is actually kind of cool. Um, but there are some that are still being solved. And so the this particular paper was talking about solving for 33. I think this is, it's not cheating, but you can use negative too, right? Integers. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, it's totally allowable in the description of the problem. Right, correct. Um, I'm going to skip through all this math about how they found it. <laughs> So, can I say one thing? The Please. video and the the paper, both. This is the one thing. Well, there are many things I love about mathematicians. They're lovely people. <laughs> this is one of the things I love about mathematicians, though, is 
I, I have gone to seek their guidance before on scientific problems. Mm-hmm. And they'll always, the first solution they come at me with, I'm like, wait, what? Because it'll be something like, well, you can use negative numbers or, well, you can do this. I'm like, what? No, no, you can't. Well, you didn't say I couldn't. <laughs> like, they have the most interesting problem solving. Like, if it's not disallowed, yeah, it's allowed. It's, it's on the table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a- approach to these problems. And I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. And they also have the, well, you you proved one case. Can you prove it generically? Can you find a pattern in the solutions? Can you find a parametric solution? Can you prove that there are no parametric? You know, I, I love that whole rigorous proof mindset. Yeah, because there is a parametric solution for like number one. He goes over that on the YouTube channel, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but uh, that's just a sidebar of... You know, that no, is really exactly scientific right. thinking. Yeah, yes, exactly. And that's what we should teach in math. You should say that stuff up front. You know what I mean? And then Calculus 3, which was series for us, wouldn't have been so weird. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, no, there's a reason we do this, and it's yes, to get around things in the future. Yes, tell me what I'm doing this for. That's why I love linear algebra so much, because it had clicked by then. Like, tell me what I'm doing it for. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's so funny. Mathematicians are sneaky. We didn't say I couldn't do this. <laughs> well, and I love how they hide their sneakiness behind big words. <laughs> That's so true. In proofs, there are all these big words that sound clever. Are their code for I'm clever? Um, mm-hmm. I <laughs> I hadn't read the word lemma in quite some time before I read this paper. <laughs> uh, there is a song called Lemma, I Love You. Oh, I'm just going to throw that out there. Of uh, course there is. By the Klein Four. <laughs> and I love the uh, three line, the little hamburger equals sign. <laughs> like, oh, man. Is really equal to? Exactly. <laughs> I was Oh, man. I had some, like, PTSD when I read that. It's really equal to, as opposed to that two-line two equals sign. <laughs> Which is suggestive. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's so weird to me that, and to a lot of people, I'm assuming, um, you know, 33 was so hard. Yeah, and it's weird because numbers around it are very easy. Very And then you easy. get to these, like, okay, so, you know, this number works, this number works. And then the next number, you have to go out to a number of the order of magnitude of 10 to the 10. Yes. Uh, to figure and, this out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. So they solved 33 and 795. <laughs> and each of those numbers only took about eight core years. <laughs> I was going to ask you how they measure that. Yeah, so a core year, if you had a single core computer running this, it would take eight years. If you had an eight core computer running it, it would take one year. Oh, if you had okay. 16 cores running it, it takes six months and so on. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, this is nuts. Do you want to read those numbers? Can you do the, the places for this number? See, this is what my son was doing, rounding to like weird, you know, 10 thousandths and whatever today. And I was like, look at this number. And he's like, nope. <laughs> Oh, there's a whole generation that is about to learn how to do math the way we learned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. For yep. better, for worse. Yep. For better or worse. That is true. And I, I told my two-year-old while I was watching that YouTube video, because, you know, any kind of video, and she's right there. 
And she's like, what is that? And I was like, well, it's the parametric equation to solve this. And she goes, huh, that's cool. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. Okay, see you later. (laughs) So these numbers are on the order of 10 to the 16. Mm -hmm. But what's their name? (laughs) Big. (laughs) Oh, yeah. When you need an entire line for this one equation. Yeah. 33 equals. <laughs> the rest of the line is numbers. And it's so seemingly simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so crazy. 795 gets a negative number, though, and I appreciate that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is really cool, and I thought that we should talk about it. So this is only a year old, um, but more importantly... They also just solved 42. Of course. <laughs> so that was the, the wormhole that this started on was I found where the article where they solved 42. Uh, it's all clear. I was wondering how you found this because mm-hmm. I did not see number theory as a journal that you browsed. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> I have a friend in the mathematics department and she explained to me what she did because I was like, how does what does research look like in math, you know? And she explained this stuff that sort of made sense. I'm like, I'm going to look up some of her papers. I have, wow, that's that's all I have to say about this paper. There was, I don't know, 10 pages and maybe 250 words. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty impressive. So I like to do it just to remind myself that I know nothing. <laughs> Right. N- nothing quite does that, like going into a totally different field. Uh, yeah, and reading reading stuff and the research and number theory. <laughs> but yeah, so 42 is solved. That's cool. And they yeah. did it using crowdsourced computers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you'd be excited about that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is one of those things where you might say, well, what are the applications? We don't know what the applications are yet. Because we don't know the answers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things like this, to me, instantly scream cryptography. Yeah. Uh, And if you find patterns in them, I see all kinds of, like, encoding and things. I mean, who knows? It might or might not be the solution. But this is where a lot of our compression and cryptographic things came from was number theory. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And you say, well, that doesn't affect me. Well, you use online banking, you use eBay, you use Facebook, so it affects you. Yeah. So take that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do they go into that kind of stuff on that number file YouTube channel? Mm, uh, so on the channel in general, yes. Okay. Because I was thinking that this is going to be something I probably follow after watching this video. Oh, you definitely should. Um they're very interesting, random mathematical things that they mm-hmm. delve into. Most of the videos are between 10 and 15 minutes. Uh, computer file is very similar, except about how computers work. Oh, there you go. I love that he uses a big roll of butcher paper to do his math on, though. That makes me happy. That's how all of them work. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I know what I'm doing the rest of the evening. <laughs> I will say, I picked up a habit from a mathematician, and I still use it to this day. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is... I have a copious amount of yellow notepads. Really? Strewn everywhere. 
Okay. And I do not have a single thought or idea or thing that I don't write down. Oh, okay. Well, I and do that too. <laughs> that was his thing, though, was like he never saw him without his little bag of yellow notepads. Hmm. And hmm. so from every time uh, since I took that class, which was complex number theory, until now, I carry around notepads. <laughs> and <laughs> and they just stack up and you've got millions of them. And No, no. So that's the beauty of it is you half the time you write it and it's in the recycle the next day. Mm-hmm. But you got it out. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. So. No, I don't throw mine away. That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, no. I, I took out two rolling bins of recycle this week, cleaning out notepads and things. But what if you need those? Yeah, most of it's incoherent. <sighs> but you just got it down. That's what's important. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Interesting. So uh, if you've got a solution for one of these unknown numbers, if you happen to start running it on your computer or your own mathematically interesting approach to something, uh, we'd love to hear about it. We'd also love to hear about your experiences with remote learning. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Yes, please send us those. Uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Um, we're on Twitter a lot more lately. <laughs> um, I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Together, we're at Don't Panic Geo. Um, thank you for our Patreon supporters. You can support us too on Patreon, patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And in the Slack chat room, we're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And since we all are in quarantine, or most of us are in quarantine right now, if you would like to just send us an audio comment saying hello uh, to us and everybody else listening to the podcast, please do that, and we'll throw them in in the stinger of some shows. <laughs> and until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 